Welcome to another episode of Sports and Discourse with your host, Derek Stevenson. And on today's episode, I got a special guest for y'all. I got probably one of the biggest North Carolina fans I know. And normally, we're on the same side because this man, his motto to everybody that knows him is fuck Duke United. And usually, I'm right there rocking with him. But this weekend... It's BBN versus North Carolina. So we enemies this weekend. Um, all all fuck Duke aside, man. Uh welcome to the show, my guy, Mr. Donovan Jarman. Hey man, I appreciate the hospitality, man. I'm, I'm watching my back around here, man. I don't I don't know what kind of setup we got going today, but like you said, we normally allies, but this weekend, man, we foes, man. Uh blue blood rivalry for sure, man. Yeah, man. Um, before we get into this game specifically, let me ask you, what was your expectations for UNC coming into this season? And have you been disappointed or are you okay with where they at right now? Uh, of prior seasons, this year's expectations was kind of low considering we missed the tournament last year. So I was like, we better make the tournament. That's, that's just where I'm going to start. After we get there, I'll push like a further agenda. Um, as far as where we are right now, like the overall team, um, yeah, I'm a little disappointed in uh, Baycott. I'm not sure if it's like an injury that's kind of lingering him around or bruh's just not in shape, but bruh, you're a super senior, so I expect the most out of you. You got the most experience on the team besides the coach and the assistant and the staff, so I expect a lot out of you. Um, but a lot of different pieces – that I'm not used to, um, you know, y'all normally have like the uh, freshman rain and that goes on. And then a couple of transfer pieces here and there. Um, I'm used to more of a, you know, like a more veteran team per se with a few pieces added here and there. I'm excited how we're using our bench though. Um, unlike last year, cause you need a rotation, man, as the season goes on. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that's been played in Kentucky so far. We, uh, we we started off the season playing really well. The last two games have made me a little worried. I'm not gonna lie, um, but we starting to, you know, get closer to being at full strength. We should be adding another seven footer against y'all, Ugana Anyenzo, probably our best shot blocker. Um, and I feel like we're gonna need him because even though you said Baycott is out of shape, he might be disappointing you a little bit. I still feel like he's one of them guys that we don't really have nobody that's going to be able to contend with him around the basket. So I feel more confident now that we have two seven-footers. But I want to ask you, what do you think your keys to success against us are? Um, The keys is going to be the front court. That's the only place I really feel like we have, like, the true advantage uh, at the power forward and, like, center position uh, with Harrison Ingram and Armando Baycott. So we're going to have to – of course, always um, run the ball, dictate the tempo. That's what we want to do. We want the game to be ran at our pace, get easy baskets, put up more shots, and, of course, hopefully make more shots if we're putting up more shots than you all. Um, and offensive rebounding, um, control the offensive glass. Um, yeah, down low, um, just try to get people in foul trouble just so kind of got to put some more inexperienced players in a big-time moment that they're not kind of used to being in. And that's one of the things that worried me. Um, 
when I was watching us play our last couple games, especially, um, you know, even though Aaron Bradshaw in his second game, he had really good numbers, right? Mm -hmm. But when I watched the game, I noticed a lot of the time he was getting moved around under the basket a little bit more than I would have had liked to seen. Um, he still did his thing, man. He I think he ended up with 16 and 10, if I remember correctly. I think he might have had three blocks. But I just feel like now that the season is progressing, it's going to be a lot tougher um, because he's going to be playing guys that are just more experienced, more developed physically. And I think that could be a problem, especially against North Carolina. So I definitely agree with you. Um, the front court is what scares me. But what I want to ask you next is, who on Kentucky do you like? Are you worried about or are you in fear of, so to speak, having a big game potentially? Uh, Reed, because, uh, man, he get going. He gets going. Um, not only is he a shot taker, he's a shot maker. And he's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he's not a valiant scorer. Like, he's very consistent once he keeps going. Like, he's he's proficient. So he puts shots and he starts making them, Brad, like 9 for 12. And that's, like, the type of stats I want to see. I don't want to see somebody, like, 12 for 24 and end up with, like, 30 with the added free throws or something like that. It's like, even though that's, like, 20, uh, 50, shooting 50%, I was like, dang, took you that many shots, like, to get that? I was like, yeah, you shoot 24 shots, I need about 30, 35 out of you. Yeah, man. Um, oh, he's very efficient. That's the word I was looking for. Efficient, and and that's what I'm looking for because he he kind of had a he had one of his, I guess I would call it one of his worst games last game. And and I won't say that he played bad, but offensively he really didn't get a lot done. So I'm definitely looking for him to bounce back. Um, Do you think but, it was the court? Because I see like y'all changing the court again. Now, I don't know what was up with that. So I, I was like, the way you look at it, like when you go into like to a shooter's gym, like, you know, it's like easy to make shots. The crowd is not right behind the rim. I was like changing stuff like that can really mess with a shooter as small as it seems. Yeah. Um, it was it was definitely an interesting topic when I heard about that, Um, because like you said, guys just kind of got their routines. They used to seeing things. Uh. You know, just like some people, uh, they drive down the same street every day. So if you if you take it uh take it backwards, it might it might give you some vertigo or something. You never know, man. So you could you could be on to something right there. Um, I don't want to use that as an excuse. Of course. But um they are changing it back, I believe. Uh they they made a statement where they said something was wrong with it. They weren't able to perform well. I don't really know what they actually meant by that. What I wasn't really clear on on what they meant. But they are changing it back, and they work continuing to work with the company, and I guess they're going to get it redone. Um, but I just wonder uh, what performance they actually are looking for that they couldn't get out of it. I don't, I don't know what what specs or whatever goes on it, what goes into that. But weird man, lighting can even mess you up as like even a shooter. So like the ways the light so reflects off or it might've changed the depth of them looking from the three point line of certain areas from the court, like mid range. It just looks a little different. So it kind of throws off your mechanics in a way it's weird. It's really weird, but something that small can really mess you up. Like when you come to North Carolina, I don't know what it is about our court, but opposing players always have the best games of their life. 
<laughs> like, it's, it's just like a shooter's gym. I know you heard that term before. It's a shooter's gym. So people get comfortable in there. It's kind of easy to come in and get your routine going. Nothing's like really throwing you off or the crowd's not like right over top of you per se. Uh, like uh, like Coach K's court. Right. Like right on you. And uh, another thing that was kind of weird to me and, and you just reminded me of it, bringing that up. Um, Kentucky's kind of had some issues with the basketballs. So they use they have been using, and I'm pretty sure they still are, uh, Nike's Elite Basketball, whatever they call it. And then when they go to the NCAA tournament, they had changed the basketball. Um, and I'm not sure you guys, being a Nike school, you you might, well, I don't know, you got the Jordan. So I don't know if you use, do you use Nike ball or use Jordan ball? I don't know. Honestly, that's crazy. I never paid attention to that detail. Yeah, I'm, but but I've never paid attention to that detail. Yeah, but they said that like uh the Nike schools that was using the Nike Elite basketball. I don't know. It might be a couple of little dimensions that's a little different or something like that. And then when they go to the uh, NCAA tournament, I think they use a Wilson basketball. Or I think it's Wilson if I remember correctly. Um, but like I said, I, I hate to even bring that up because it just sounds like an excuse, but. Yeah. It is kind of weird that they play with different gear and then change to that. Yeah, that should probably kind of be regulated, I think. Me uh, too. Yeah, kind of like with the professional sport. It's like, yeah, we're not changing balls depending on who's at home and who you sponsor by. Like, this is the ball that everybody plays with. This PSI, this same type. Like, everybody's who. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's wild to think that they could even be different dimensions. Like, maybe even – if they just had a a standard spec list yeah. and it could be like, all right, you can make a ball, but it has to hit these specs. And, but that, that's just kind of, that was kind of strange to me, man. But, um, so, uh, you know, you said you was a little bit worried about Reed. Um, so what do you actually think? What do you, what do you think is going to happen in this game, man? Um, one thing I know our point guard, um, who's a freshman, Elliot, uh, Man, I talked to his mom. I bet not mess this up. Elliot Kadu. He's about to have a long night between Wagner or Dillingham. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and that's it. RJ Davis, too, because, I mean, technically he's a point guard, but he plays off ball. So the guards, they they in for a long night. Uh, we're going to have to use a lot of help defense because, uh, I mean, quite frankly, they exert a lot of energy on the offensive end. So I don't really expect them to be fully locked in on defense. And honestly, those two aren't the greatest defenders. They're cool, like in the passing lanes and stuff like that. We got Seth Trimble, um, who comes off the bench, um, J.P. Tokoro's little brother. Now, he will pick you up going full court. But I like to save some of his energy, like, say, if we want to switch it up and press, do things like that. I don't want him to get in early foul trouble trying to swap out RJ or Elliott um, to help with uh, DJ or Dillingham. Yeah. And um, one of the things that's kind of concerned me a little bit is Kentucky started off one of the best assist-to-turnover turn ratio teams in the country. And by the numbers, they probably still are. But – Last couple of games, man, they've been uncharacteristically turning the ball over a lot more. Um, and I wonder if it's due to the fact maybe Cal might have them trying different offenses or, you know, running some more plays. But whatever the reason, 
I feel like guys um, are not as composed as they was early, which gave me some concern. Um, so that's one of the things that I definitely I, – I know you feel like Kentucky's guards is going to just be on point, but I kind of actually am – you know, I'm going to keep a close eye on them because they kind of gave me a little bit of concern the way they've been turning the ball over a little bit lately. Uh, I mean, I understand, but you also got to remember this team doesn't have an incredible a lot of experience with each other. Also, the guards are young, too. Um, I mean, who's the veteran on this team for you all? Dre Mitchell, man. I think he's 23 years old. He's a super uh, senior. Yeah, super senior. All right. Um, next, because he's what, a power forward or center? Yeah, he's a, he's a, well, he's been playing undersized center ball for us, but naturally he's a power forward. Okay. And then Antonio Reeves. Okay. Obviously. Does he do, does he do like any point forward, like run any plays through him? Do y'all do any of that? He, he, he does occasionally. Yeah, he does. He, he actually is a, is a pretty good decision maker. Um, and he's one of the most steady players on our team. Feel, I feel very confident that he normally is going to make the right decisions. And, um, you know, he's one of the rare guys lately that I feel like that about. Initially, I felt like that about most of them. But now I feel like he's one of those ones that I know he's kind of the rock. He's going to be under control. He's not going to get too uh, high, too low. Um, so I, I definitely actually... I'm hoping that he can pull one of you guys big men away from the basket because he actually is a decent shooter. So hope the only thing that worries me is when he shoots the ball, Kentucky really doesn't crash the glass as much as I would like to see. Um, Y'all got some athletic guards. Reed can rebound. Yeah. He's one of our better rebounders, but yeah. And Dillingham, I mean, I'm not sure how he likes to rebound, but he's athletic enough to assert himself and do that. I think a lot of times they just get caught standing on the perimeter. Uh, Reed Shepard might be our second or third leading rebounder, um, excluding Bradshaw. I'm talking about the guys that played, you know, a number of games. Um, but at one point, Reed was like our number one shot blocker, our best rebounder. Like, it was kind of crazy to see that, you know, he was the one that was giving us that type of production. And the dude, Thero, another one of our undersized power forwards, um, those have kind of been the guys that's crashing the glass while I've been noticing a lot of the others just kind of standing around. So that's definitely given me um, a lot of concern against North Carolina since, you know, with Baycott, they've been notoriously one of the better rebounding teams. Yeah. Uh, I watch a ton of basketball when I had a time. Um, Thero is one of those guys I know I was looking at last year. Um, he didn't necessarily like have the weight on him, but I was like, he got all the other physical tools to like be great uh, with this team. Um, he may not go out or leave as fast as some of the other guys, but that's definitely one of those guys I feel like can fully develop in this system under Cal. Cause Cal doesn't really get that chance to like really fully develop players. Like bro gets like what a semester with most of these players and yeah. you know, and then he's repeating the cycle. So it's kind of hard to really instill everything that you want to. Um, I mean, Cal, obviously has the experience so he's like cramming a lot of information into these guys and like reed he has an incredible high iq i mean we know who his dad is um so i think that plays a lot to what the production you see as far as like the blocks and the rebounds he just knows where to be yeah so that's like a great thing uh but yeah thero i know watching him last year inspired so i was like yeah this guy could be special for them he would be able to fully develop in the system um yeah i get the undersized thing um 
I mean, sometimes I can play to your uh, advantage. So, I mean, if you undersize, I mean, it's kind of easier to draw a charge if you're not the same guy, same size as the other guy. <laughs> so, okay, he didn't really fly. Bro got really knocked over. <laughs> like, like, if he dips down, Baycott dips down and put his shoulder into somebody, it's going the other way. Like, I know the charge rules is a little different this day. Like, they have to be fully in stance before that last foot comes off the ground. So I've been seeing like a lot of blocking calls this year um, among uh, across the league. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Cal has one of the toughest jobs in the nation just because of the turnaround of that team, and of and, course the expectations of being the blue blood, obviously. Yeah, and and it's kind of, I'm kind of starting to feel like I might change my stance on the whole. Okay, like I put it like this, I feel like. Going forward, and I know he probably won't do this, but in order to be as successful as he could at Kentucky, I feel like he may need to go away from trying to get four or five top freshmen and maybe stick to one or two and then go after some transfer portal guys. Because when we looked at the Final Four last year, it was just a bunch of teams with, you know, plenty of veterans on them. And I'm just wondering can you win with a team full of or a team loaded with young and experienced players now? What do you think? You can. It uh, depends on the class coming out because, of course, all five stars are not made equal year by year. Um, truly, when you look at some classes, it'd be like, okay, only two of these guys should really be five stars and the rest, you know, high-rated four stars right on the cusp. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely crazy you said that um, experience. I know one guy I was afraid of y'all getting. He ultimately ended up going to Tennessee. Um, I want to say it's uh, – is it Dalton Connect? I won't say that's his name. We played him. We played him in the ACC, uh, SEC thing. Uh, we played him at home. Luckily, we won. But Connect gave us like 35 mm. after starting off slow. And I seen him, I forget what uh, the smaller school he came from, but I was like, this is the type of guy Cal needs. Uh, he's white. Uh, he can shoot, given. Uh, but he also attacks the rim. Like, you can tell he spent a lot of time on them outdoor courts <laughs> playing, playing rec ball too, man. So uh, he, got a, he got some dog in him for sure. Uh, that could help Tennessee. I was kind of happy y'all didn't get him, but I was like, this would be the perfect spot for him. The guards that y'all have coming in and then trying to find a way to piece him in. But you only have so many scholarships. Um, certain people want a certain role, a certain number of promise shots or a certain look or the green light. I mean, this happens. Um, you talk to a guy, bring him in for a visit. He's talking about, well, this is what I want you to do. Kind of why Caleb Love left and went to Arizona. It was like, you you don't have the green light this year. Like we're going to do other things and you just can't kind of go rogue and then miss and then not play defense. Um, shout out to Caleb Love, by the way. Um, I know them and the Wildcats is doing their thing. They currently rank number one right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they hooping. He found a situation for him um, that fits. But uh, yeah, uh, recruiting is a different animal. You got the NIL, you got players want certain things with the NIL. Most players don't even go to where their best fits is. And this is basketball, football, like people are like chasing bags. It was like, dude, this system doesn't even fit you. It was like, they're not even going to your strengths. So you can have a coach who's going to do everything to like maximize your potential. 
But if the bag ain't right, they might not go there. Or you might not even crack like the top three. It's like, damn, this was obviously actually the best situation for you. And like your attributes and what you bring to the table, you was going to fully maximize that. But you went after the money. Now your development might be slowed. Or, I mean, it might stop your development altogether. Yeah. And um, that kind of reminds me uh, of what I want to ask you. So we brought up the Caleb Love situation. Do you see a scenario where you'll start to see more players like him who actually seem like outside of maybe, yeah, his shots, you know, per game might go down. He was in the perfect situation. He was at a blue blood school. He had experience. He was a starter, would have still been a starter. And then he leaves. Do you think we're going to start to see a trend of that? Or you think that's just going to be like an occasional every once in a while? And do you even think that, you know, I don't know what the rules are, but do you think that teams should start offering, you know, NIL deals to draw other player starters away? Uh, I see the situation growing because let's say you are like the star player have been like when you walked in and then all of a sudden, like your role is reduced. That affects your morale. It's like, dang, I've been the guy like all this time and now, I'm kind of taking a back seat, maybe not a back seat to another particular player, but to the overall grand scheme of like how we're running things. Um, so it's different because um, when you have a green light two, three years in a row, it can practically do whatever you want to and really not have any repercussions, have to worry about getting benched or anything like that to where like, bro, I'm going to pull you next year. You pull this shit next year or you can't do X, Y, and Z. It was like, well, that's kind of who I've grown to be here. Uh, yeah, it's a morale thing. And I mean, it's a lot of testosterone in that uh, locker room. So uh, everybody has pride. Everybody can't take that. Some people can. Um, it's very rare. A lot of kids are just not staying in those situations and they leave. It's like, dang, well, this year you didn't have that much playing time. So now you're going to transfer out when the next year you'd have more experience under the system. A player who was actually starting ahead of you at your position is no longer there. It's like, but now you want to transfer? It's like things would have been better for you. Like you got a full year under your belt. There's going to be more minutes, more shots for you. But you want to go to another situation and hope the grass is greener on the other side when Truly, it might not be. You're having to learn a whole new system. There's not a lot of players transferring and going to the same system. Yeah. Um, philosophies. And it was kind of, that's kind of sort of similar to what happened with Antonio Reeves with us. Um, he he started off a little slow in the beginning of last season. But by the end of the season, he had had some moments um, where he looked like he was starting to, you know, get back to what we all thought he could be or starting to become that, you know, and um, then he, he put his name in the draft, tested the waters or whatever the case may be. And then out of nowhere, it was like he was enrolled uh, in another. Uh, I think he went back and was enrolled in like Illinois State or something. So everybody was super confused. Like, did he did he transfer? What, what was going on? And I think he uh, eventually ended up saying that he was going to leave, but he ended up getting close to the freshman. And I think he was probably worried that after what he went through and finally figured it out at Kentucky, so to speak, that with these freshmen coming in, his minutes, his opportunities were going to be gone. And uh, I think he was ready to just uh, try it somewhere else. And then 
he ended up getting close to him and he stayed. And actually he probably realized like, even though these guys are talented, they're not developed yet. And we still need Antonio Reeves to play at a high level. Uh, we ain't going to win the championship without him doing that. And he's, um, you know, he's been meshing with them pretty good, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, that that one was 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 crazy to me. He, he ended up saying that like he he got close to them playing Call of Duty, so I guess they was just chopping it up on the game, talking all the time, and I guess he ended up bonding with them and he stuck it out, which I'm glad that he did. But um, also we can talk about the Hunter Dickinson situation because that's sort of similar to Caleb Love, because he was kind of in the same situation. I know. You know, Michigan is not a blue blood school, but still he was in a great position. He was the undisputed guy on the team and he ends up leaving and going to Kansas. It's just all kind of strange. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Uh, I think Dickinson's situation kind of worked out for him, though. Um, I mean, the conference he's going to be in is probably a little easier on him. Big Ten basketball-wise, it's a little closer than uh, Kansas in the Big 12. I mean, how many years in a row has Kansas won, like, the Big 12 championship? <laughs> yeah, they really don't got much comp down there. They they, they kind of had it the way we used to have it. Now, <laughs> now things done got a little bit tougher for us in the SEC. Yeah, man. Uh, you mind I do a little background history? Yeah. All right, man. So, obviously, these two teams go back a long way. Uh, we have, what is it, 42 prior games. Um, 20 have been on neutral courts, quote-unquote, um, if you consider Charlotte, North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina, and Louisville, Kentucky, neutral courts in this matchup. Uh, so this it's is not be- a home game, put it like that. <laughs> yeah. So the 43rd edition is going to be in Atlanta, and this is kind of a home game for y'all, too. <laughs> it's kind of a home game. Like, I ain't going to lie. <laughs> uh, Catalina. Uh, so we go back way to 1924. Um, yeah. And then let's see. I remember what coach actually started like the home at home thing. Was it, was it Joe B? Yeah. So yeah, Joe B Hall, he agreed to, uh, do the, uh, home at home thing. So we played 13 times between 1960 and 75, but, Really, never once in Chapel Hill. Our home games were always like Charlotte or Greensboro, and then like the next, yeah, and then like the next time we came to play each other was way in 1977, uh, in the East Regional Final um, in College Park, Maryland. Uh, that was back Phil Ford and all those guys played, but yeah, I kind of missed the home and home thing. I know Hubert Davis, uh, he put out a quote saying he wants to do that. I think it'll be good, but I kind of see the money side of it with these schools. Um, so, yeah, you're bringing in a lot of money going to these bigger venues, these classics yep. and things like that. Uh, people who typically don't get to see these teams play. Um, it brings more fans. It brings more money, more seats and, um, yeah, just bigger venues. Uh, it's like, yeah, of course, if we played in Lexington or in Chapel Hill, obviously we're going to be on, like, ESPN. Yeah, That's a good but like if we play in like event, uh, Atlanta or Las Vegas or move it up to New York or one of those other bigger venues, it's just it's just kind of spreading the viewership on the Blue Bloods. It's not like we need more notoriety. Both fan bases are incredibly huge. Uh, UK definitely has the bigger fan base. But uh, 
Yeah. So the money thing, I think that's kind of ruining some things. I think it was more intense with those home and home games. Like uh, when Cal first came in, we had the whole little thing with Roy Williams didn't offer John Wall and John Wall came right in the Chapel Hill and, you know, took over a game. It was it was business for him. It was personal. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, speaking of John Wall, man, uh, he threw out that rumor that uh, what was it? Uh, Tyler Hansborough like wouldn't talk to him. It was like, okay, if you think about that, one of the biggest recruits coming to a visit at your school, and a veteran isn't speaking or disregards that player on that visit, a coach like Roy Williams, do you really think he's gonna go for that, bro? Yeah, <laughs> I can see both sides of that too, though, because Tyler Hansborough arguably is, oh man, he got to be if we if we being honest and we looking at his accomplishments and his numbers, he got to be where where we where we ranking Tyler Hansborough all the time? Can he crack the top ten? Uh, he's top ten. Yeah, he's he probably top five. He, he, like he, as far as accomplishments at the school, yeah, he can slide in there easy. Yeah, but it was just like, I was like, man, Roy would have had them boys running for the rest of eternity. He pulled some shit like that. It's like, hold up, this is a visitor coming to our home, and this is how he going to treat. Like, uh, he he really didn't have a lot of tolerance for that stuff, and yeah. But uh, that's another crazy thing. It was like those type of storylines don't really get a chance to exist. Like, John Wall coming from the state of North Carolina as a high school basketball player uh, kind of feels um, – he didn't even get the offer to stay in state with one of the bigger programs. And he gets that home game early in the season to come to Chapel Hill national TV is like, I right, light you motherfuckers up. <laughs> Show you what I can do. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Do, do you feel like the days of, of the freshman being on that type of level are over though? Like the freshman coming in, are they capable of being the best player majority of the time they step out on the court? It's very few, very few far in between. Cause like I mentioned earlier, all five stars aren't created equally. I don't think we've seen like, let's say that type of player. Let me think college. Uh, Anthony Edwards was a dog. Uh, but I mean, there's not a lot of Anthony Davis's walking in. There's not a lot of Jason Williams walking through the door. There's not a lot of Boogie Cousins, John Walls, stuff like that, just walking through in every class. Every class isn't even created equal. Some classes I'd be seeing coming through, it's like none of these guys should probably be a five-star, honestly. A lot of the speculation around the 2024 is that majority of them guys are a little overrated. Mm -hmm. Hey, man, but somebody's somebody's got to be a five-star. Somebody's got to be the best. Somebody's got to be the best. Yeah, I was like, clearly some of these guys are better than the other ones, but I think we should hold a little higher regard for a five-star blue-chip player. I don't yeah. think there should be like oh, – I can't remember how many is it. I don't think there should be like 15, 20 of them in each class. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I thought Roy Williams did do well was he had really good retention on his five-star players. So every three to four years, it seemed like he was able to have a team that was really worthy – of competing for a championship. That's one of the things I did like. And that's one of the things that we have been struggling with because we just we just aren't able to hold those pieces together. Um, but I want to ask you, so far, how do you feel like Hubert Davis has handled the transition and 
you know, as far as the program is going, do you like where it is? Do you feel like it should be further along? Uh, are you satisfied with his coaching so far? I'm satisfied. I feel like he runs a lot more sets uh, than Roy Williams did versus fast break, secondary break. Not saying Roy Williams didn't run plays, but I kind of like how the offensive flows. Um, it's not too big man pounding the paint when we do go into that half-court set. Hubert Davis wants some guys that can stretch the floor from the big position um, and different things like that. So we're keeping a tempo, things like that, as far as like we want to outpace you, outshoot you, things like that. That's just our MO. But as far as like the two big men in the paint thing, um, that's changed. Um, Hubert Davis isn't even recruiting that way. He's going for more of the, yeah, you can play inside, but I need you to play outside as well. I need you to be able to pass the ball. Um, I need you to be able to guard the perimeter because all our bigs haven't always been able to do that. Like our bigs have to go out and guard somebody smaller or like a forward who can actually attack from the three-point line. That was a big area problem area for us for sure. Um, I like what he's doing. Um, he's pulling in some good players. Uh, even next year, I like how we're looking um, as far as the recruits coming in. Um, the only thing I have as really a negative besides missing a tournament last year is uh, one of our assistants that we let go, Steve Robinson. I feel like he should have retained him um, just because of what he meant to the program. He's been there as long as Roy was. Um, of course, he was never probably going to be the head coach of North Carolina, but like he knew the players, he knew the program, uh, probably knew the right hands to shake, uh, can point them in the right direction with some things around campus uh, or just like recruiting players and things like that. Having that kind of familiarity, even going into like recruiting was like, well, this guy's been here, even though he didn't play here, or go to school here. This guy's been around the program X amount of years. Hubert, I know you went here, but you left for a minute. You did your thing with ESPN, went to the NBA, did this, and then came back as an assistant. So you kind of have a little disconnect as far as like the players and who's there now. Um, not saying he can't connect with the players, but like there's a little interruption um, to say. Well, definitely, so, yeah. I like him. I'm, I'm I'm riding with Hubert. Um, I'm definitely willing to give him like uh, he's still got a lot of extended leash with me. Um, two, three years. I want to see him bringing in some more uh, recruiting classes and see his style of play come to fruition and see his full vision. Because, I mean, he's still playing with some of Roy's players. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, it, it shouldn't be too long before all the super seniors is up out of there, man, and then we'll <laughs> we'll get to see things balance out a little bit more. I mean, I love Trey Mitchell, but it's just crazy to think that he's 23 years old, man. That's wild to me. <laughs> um, hey, man, if they're doing it for education purposes, I feel it, man. Get that get that free degree, get that doctorate, master's, get it yeah. for free. I'm all for that. And if you're making some money with it, you're getting free housing. I know a lot of these kids, you know, they typically move off campus. But, heck, some of them places come and furnished and included in their NIL. So while they're paying for it, they're not paying for it. But, like, yeah, man, uh, I like to see them getting an education for free, finding that creep hole to get through and uh, making money, man. Uh, it's nice. It's a different venue. It's a, yeah, definitely a different venue. Uh, I know some of these older college players that's now pro uh, overseas or anything like that. I was like, dang, man, if I had this NIL when I was playing, like, yeah, I'd be super up right now. Like, could you think of like the NIL? Do you think y'all would have been able to pull like Boogie and John Wall with that class? It'd been tough, man. <laughs> It'd been tough because they would have definitely got offers from everywhere, man. It would have been, it would have been, it, it could have been ugly, man. 
Yeah, even the platoon squad, man. Y'all had Devin Booker, y'all had the twins. Like, yeah. it would have been some things we wouldn't even have had a chance to see. And that was an incredible season from y'all, man. Yeah, you're right. Well done. I know you got things to do tonight, man. But before I let you go, you got to give me a score, man. So tell me, what do you think is going to happen? What's the final score for tomorrow's game? Uh, I wanted to go on the hundreds, but I don't think neither one of our defenses was that bad. Uh, I'm trying to think. Do I want to go humble or just off the rails for ratings? I'll say it's hard, man. This is in Atlanta. This is bro's third game. Ninety-two, eighty-eight, UNC. Got you, man. There you have it, man. Mr. Donovan Jarman. He got you, uh, UNC taking this one in Catlanta. We'll see you tomorrow. Anyways, you guys let me know what you think in the comment, what the final score is going to be, and we'll get back at it next time. Sports and Discourse with Derek Stevenson. Yes, sir.